The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. One week at a time, and looking at these individual confessions within that creed, learning about God, His character, His nature, His work, what does it mean to be a Christian, and the essential elements of what it means uh, to, to know and trust in, in Jesus. And today we continue in our series as we, um, as we go to the Gospel of John. We'll be reading in John chapter 14. You can follow along as we read verse 15 to 27. Let's hear God's word. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father, the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is God's word. Today our creed and this scripture brings us to the topic, the subject of the Holy Spirit. That's where our creed takes us. And, and this is the line in the creed that we'll be looking at today. Here's as complex as it is. The creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's all that we see. That's all the Apostles' Creed gives us. It's as if, it's as if the writers of the creed began writing the next portion of the creed and started with, I believe in the Holy Spirit, then got distracted, walked away, and never came back to it. That's all that we have. Perhaps this, the minimalism that we see in the creed is intentional regarding the Holy Spirit. In order to keep with the mystery of the Holy Spirit himself, he is mysterious. His work is at times mysterious to us. When we say God works in mysterious ways, we're often talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a full member of the eternal trinity. The Holy Spirit is a a he, not an it. He is God, the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And and the question might be, if, if a full member of the eternal trinity, why then are we given the fewest description, descriptive characteristics about the Holy Spirit in Scripture? We know a lot about God the Father, We know a great deal about God the Son. We're not lacking in much description of Him. 
But God the Holy Spirit seems a little blurry. God the Holy Spirit seems like there's a lot to be learned. So there's a mystery here. But mystery is not always bad. It can be really a healthy part of relationships, like a mystery in a marriage or other close relationships. Mystery compels us to dig deeper, to learn more of the purpose of that relationship. Why is, why is knowing the Holy Spirit so important? We don't, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about His work. It's because of this. The more we know, the more we grow in knowing the work of the Holy Spirit and the nature of, of who He is, the more we'll know and enjoy God. And Jesus has a lot to tell us. Most prominently in John chapter 14, Jesus talks with his disciples and, and has a great deal to say about the Holy Spirit, what he will do um, and how it will affect them. And here Jesus emphasizes three main things that he wants his followers to know and therefore what he desires for us to know. That the Holy Spirit is the God who is near to us. That the Holy Spirit is the God who changes us and the Holy Spirit is the God who ministers to us. Okay, so he's near to us, he changes us, he ministers to us every day. Let's look at these a little closer. The Holy Spirit is a God, is the God who is near to us. There's a tendency to treat the Holy Spirit as a force, as a, as a source of power, um, more than a person who is powerful or present and glorious. In Christian circles, we often talk about the work of the Holy Spirit or drawing on the power of the Holy Spirit uh, like he's some sort of electrical outlet or a generator that gives us power to do the things that we desire to use. See, what we're looking for is, in, we're looking for is empowerment. We want a, a better life, a, a, a stronger character. We want a greater determination. We want more energy and focus. And so it's like we plug into this electrical outlet that gives us power. We might seek to utilize the Holy Spirit in the same way that we utilize coffee or a Red Bull. And maybe the effects we might think feel the same. To help us get through the day, we just need a little bit more Holy Spirit. Now think of the disciples. Imagine their sadness. Jesus is with them, and he says, I have to leave. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He is going to leave them. They will not see him again until he returns. He, and no more meals with him. No more sitting at the, the, the foot of a, of a mountain and hearing him talk about God the Father, what it means to follow Him. No more joy in the close relationship and companionship that they shared. And Jesus says, I have to go, and it's better that I leave because I'm going to send a helper, and, and then God will be able to accomplish all that He has promised to accomplish in you. And I can imagine them saying with their long faces, yes, yes, we know, of course, of course, Jesus, we know that God will not Forget about us, that we have a Father in heaven and He will do all those things that you have said He will do. We just kind of want you to be here too. We kind of just wish that you were with us. So it, I can almost imagine them saying like, yeah, yeah, I know, God is faithful and we can trust in Him, but I really want you to be with me. Isn't it true that our, that our greatest struggle often, our greatest spiritual struggle is not a result of not having enough information about God, about His promises, about what He's done, about who He is, but rather our spiritual struggles are a result of, of losing that nearness to God that we so desire. 
I know that you're faithful. I know that you're good. I know that you have made promises, but I just kind of want to feel that you're here and that you care and that you're with me and that you haven't forgotten me. Nearness. Nearness is a miracle. It's a miracle that changes relationships. It's the thing that drives us in relationship, a desire to be close. It's the reason why a woman was created for Adam. Nearness. Relationship. We were created for this kind of intimate relationship with God. Nearness is, is a miraculous thing. Nearness is what caused Courage and Thelma and Louise to drive off a cliff together. We can face anything if we're just together. And they said, yes, let's do this. Nearness is what caused Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, right, to go into that final battle together. We have each other. Nothing can stop us. You with me? Okay, something for the ladies. Okay. Nearness is what motivated Noah to read to Allie every single night to have in the notebook, right, to have her come back. No? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're there. Did I hit? <clears throat> Pull on some strings there. Now, these are all examples of tragic endings. But nearness, nearness drives us. Nearness in relationship is what motivates us and drives us to have courage, to have hope, to have joy, to have peace. It's not a lack of information that causes peace to go away. It's a lack of our belief that God is with us, that he is near to us. The point is this. God knows that all the benefits of the life that he redeemed for us through the death of his son Jesus would be incomplete if he could not be near to us. I almost hesitate to say this, but I think it's important. You being forgiven of your sins is not the greatest thing that can happen to you. But you not being with God is far worse. The point of your redemption, the point, the reason why Jesus died on the cross wasn't merely just to, to, to credit your spiritual account with righteousness. That in itself is glorious and wonderful and a miracle and something we rejoice in. But it would be incomplete if he did not draw us to himself where we could be with him forever. Sure, we will go to heaven and be with Jesus. Sure, our sins are forgiven. And all of, but yet all of those wonderful gifts fall short of his ultimate purpose if we are not with him. He desires to be near to us. That's the greatest joy, to be in his presence because in his presence there is joy. Because in his presence there is fullness of peace. Because in his presence there is life. There is the fullness of grace in his presence. And so Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The disciples knew this, and we must know it too. Having God present with us and knowing his nearness to us in all of our circumstances in life will give us peace 
that allows us to face the struggles in our life. It will give us courage to be a witness of God's grace when it is not popular. It will give us strength to hear a rebuke when it is offered to us. It will give us humility to resolve conflict with love when it occurs. It gives us joy in the assurance to know that his love belongs to us. The disciples knew this. After they received this promised Holy Spirit, they were able to do everything that God called them to do with joy. They even found their suffering as, as a gift from God, enabling them to, to, to be a witness of His grace. How could they do this? How could they be a witness that meant their certain death? How could, they, how could they have joy in the midst of suffering? How could Paul say, I am, I've learned to, to be joyful in all things while he's writing this from prison? They knew the secret to it. The secret was that God was near. God dwelled in them. The nearness of God for Jesus' disciples was an indescribable source of comfort and strength. Notice when he says, I will give you another helper. The Holy Spirit is not our babysitter. Jesus wants us to hear something. The Holy Spirit is not the babysitter for Jesus. We know the babysitter is not the real parent. The babysitter is a sorry substitute for the love of a parent. I'm sorry if you have sat for our kids. We love you. And I'm sure you're very wonderful. But you're not us. You're not the parents. When Jesus says another helper, he is saying the same kind of help. The same kind of grace. The same kind of love that I have been able to provide, the Holy Spirit will now provide in my absence. The same kind of help. Not a suitable substitute or even close to that. The same kind. The way I have helped you, the way I have spoken truth to you, the way I have reminded you of the love of the Father, the way I have built, we have given you and empowered you for courage and, and to be a witness. The same kind of help. Can you imagine saying to your children, it's good that mommy and daddy go away for a while. You're better off having this sitter. Maybe you just really needed to get away. And she's like, we need to leave you. But you could not imagine saying that. You wouldn't, that would not be your finest moment if you did say that. You couldn't imagine telling your children, don't worry, you know, Miss Fawn is coming over. <laughs> uh, Miss Rika, there's a couple of our sitters that we love. And they're actually more excited to see them sometimes than us. But you wouldn't imagine saying, it's good that we leave you because another helper is coming. That's what Jesus says. How could he say that? Because this wasn't a substitute. It wasn't second place. It was not a JV leader and presence in their life. It's another help, the same kind of help. One main reason why we don't think that God would give us such a good thing in, in, in place of Christ. One main reason could be that we are obsessed with human autonomy. We think we can be and do all that we are created to be apart from God's nearness. We would like his help, but we aren't certain that we need it. We do this when we try to fit God into our plans and our story for how we want life to go rather than fitting into his story, into his meaning for our life. 
this kind of thinking leads us to view the Holy Spirit as, a, as an inner voice. You know, it's that inner voice giving us guidance in life. The Holy Spirit is not your inner voice. The Holy Spirit is not a voice inside of you. The Holy Spirit is God inside of you, leading you into His purposes, into His plan. The Holy Spirit is not our spirit. It is God. His voice is not to be confused with our own. The Holy Spirit is God divine dwelling in us. It is the Spirit of God taking up residence in our hearts. So when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our meaning should be first that I believe That personal fellowship and nearness to the living Christ is a reality for me right now. That personal fellowship, being led by his resurrected life, is a reality. Leading me into all things that he has purposed for me is a reality. The Holy Spirit is not that voice that speaks to us that comes from somewhere inside of us. To what end? Why does, this, why does this nearness come to us? Why has this nearness come to us? Jesus leads us to this wonderful point. The next thing that Jesus says to us about the Holy Spirit is this, that the Holy Spirit is, is the God who changes us. Jesus says in verse 19, because I live, you also will live, and I will manifest myself to him. Jesus is talking about the effect of his nearness to his followers the effect that it will have. He's talking about the effect that the nearness of indwelling Holy Spirit will have on a person. And he says that he will manifest himself to him. Christ will manifest himself to us. What does that mean? Well, I think we know what manifest means. To manifest means to become visible. Okay, does Jesus mean that through the Holy Spirit we will be able to see Jesus? Of course not. Uh, it doesn't mean that we will be able to, that he will show us Jesus visibly. He's not talking about a, a visible manifestation, but an, but an inward manifestation. What's an inward manifestation? It is the way that the Holy Spirit brings about the completion of God's agenda to make us more and more like Jesus. So when Jesus says, I will manifest myself to you, he is saying the Holy Spirit will, will, will make you more like me. What do you mean you're going to show yourself to me? How can I not see you? I'm not talking about a visible manifestation. I'm talking about an inward spiritual manifestation where your very nature and life are changed from one degree to the next of, of being more and more like me. And the Holy Spirit will do that. It simply means our transformation. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will dwell in you and will transform you completely and radically and utterly. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel spoke of this transformation in in chapter 36 of Ezekiel. He said, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus repeats this in John 3 when he says this of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is manifested in the lives of a person when the power of the Holy Spirit enters that person's life and takes a spiritually dead person and tra- with the transforming power of God brings that person to spiritual life. What Jesus is saying is this, it is not enough for a person to observe religious rituals to be forgiven and to be with God. It is not enough for a person to to be born into a Christian home in order to know the nearness of God. That person must become completely and utterly, totally new, totally different person altogether. It's not enough to be born into a Christian family. It's not enough to be nice or to be kind or to be hardworking. It can only be done by the initiative of God who graciously pursues, loves us unconditionally, sends his son to die for us as a substitute and brings us into his family as his adopted children. Becoming a Christian is like being resurrected from the dead and nothing short of that. We are not merely wounded that need to be healed. We are not broken that need to be mended. We are dead and need to be resurrected. And Jesus says this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He makes you new. You must be born again. And Nicodemus, who Jesus says this to, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he rightfully asks, how can a person start over who has already lived? How can a person enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Can you hear his, I don't know, his frustration, his despair, Wanting to know, I want to be a new person. I want to know the kingdom of God. I want to feel the nearness of God in my life and the power in his life to make me new. And it seems what you're saying, it seems impossible. How does a person become born a second time? And Jesus says, only by the Spirit is this possible. Jesus sets forth the necessary condition for being with God. Do you want to be with God? Do you want your sins forgiven? The necessary condition is a radical experience that we cannot accomplish for ourselves. With that, we can say every aspect of the life of a Christian is thoroughly supernatural. Every aspect of the life of a Christian is a miracle. Every aspect is a work of God. Nothing that we have accomplished. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ by revealing Him to us and applying the effects of Jesus' cross to our hearts. We know that Jesus died for sinners. But we haven't answered, okay, how does that work on the cross get connected to our hearts That is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing we cannot provide that conduit of change. It is not a merely turning over a new leaf or starting a new chapter in our life. It is nothing about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps if you don't have any boots. The Holy Spirit's role and agenda is to make Jesus known to us and to apply the work of His atonement on the cross to our hearts to make us new, 
to be spirit-led is at, its, is at its heart not an emotional experience. Although emotions are very, very good. To be spirit-led at its heart is not a spontane- spontaneous experience. And yet spontaneity of the spirit is not a bad thing. To be spirit-led at its heart is a Christ-exalting, word-centered experience where the commands of Christ are lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is how we know we are being spirit-led because the Spirit's agenda is to make Christ known to us and to transform us increasingly into the image of the resurrected Lord. That's when we know we are being Spirit-led. This means the Holy Spirit animates our personality, shapes our character, renews our mind. It stirs our emotions. It enables us to obey God's commands. It directs our dreams and our ambitions, our motivations, our plans for our life. It rebukes our behaviors. He convicts our intentions. People often want to change their lives, don't we all? If you meet anybody who says, I'm good, I don't need to change anything, just go in the opposite direction. We often want to change our lives, but we would like to know what we really want is we just want additional resources for fulfilling our dreams. And when we say we want to change, we really want to continue to be ourselves, but we would like some help in being a better version of ourselves. And Jesus sets forth a condition for being near to God. And he says, you have to be utterly new. You have to be dramatically changed. You have to decrease and I must increase in you. His agenda is to make us more like Jesus, to manifest Christ to us through the everyday stuff of life, to make you approach the everyday stuff of life, the details of your life, the the occupations of your day, the requirements, the, the chores that you do. He means, to, he means to transform that part of your life so that you are encountering and living out that moment through the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that Christ has commanded you. His agenda is to make us more like Jesus. But this isn't where he leaves us, and that's good. I mean, we've seen some wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does in our life. That he is, it is God who is near, it is God who changes us. Jesus continues. He wants to show us something else that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the God who ministers to us. We need this in our life if we desire to do the previous one. If we desire to change, we need a God who is actually ministering, counseling. The Holy Spirit does not make us a Christian, give us new life, and leave, us, leave the rest of our lives up to ourselves to figure out. He does not save us, apply the atonement of Jesus on the cross to our lives, bring us into his family, and then says, okay, you've been given gifts, you've been given abilities, you've been given intellect, you have everything you need, now go and do it. He doesn't do that. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will, in verse 26, teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit enters our life to give us new life in Christ by his grace and to complete God's plan for 
us. The Holy Spirit has been called the executor of God's will. The Holy Spirit is the one who carries out the plan of God. The Holy Spirit is the one that, that, that completes all of God's wishes, plans, and desires. He is the one who completes all of God's intentions for His children. Here is what no one tells you about what it means to be a Christian. No one tells you that you will feel and act like a spiritual schizophrenic. Let me explain. In the life of a Christian, there is tremendous internal conflict. It is this tremendous conflict that causes a person to say, I thought I was a Christian. Why am I such an idiot? I have the power of God who dwells in me. What is my problem? Why do I keep doing this? Why does it seem so easy for other people? Will I ever get it right? What's the point of it anyway? Maybe I'm not a real Christian. Maybe God hates me. Is this a test of faith? If God loved me so much, why do I feel this way? Maybe I need to have more quiet times. That should fix it. What do I read? Where do I even go? I always doze off when I read. Maybe I need to pray more. What do I pray about? What if I pray the wrong way and God doesn't hear me? Are these bad things happening to me because of some past sins? Will I ever find rest? And it goes on and on and on. Spiritual schizophrenia. Do you feel it? Do you have that disorder? Okay, let's talk more about it then. I saw a lot of nods, a lot of good head nods. The Bible describes the heart of the, in, the internal workings of a Christian, describes the heart of a Christian in this way. There is a war. There's a war inside, a war between what Jesus desires to complete in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, and there's a war between what you want to do, your habits of sin, the nature, the sin nature that is motivating you, how you've been shaped by the idols of our culture. There is a war of sin and a war of righteousness working in each and every one of Jesus' children right now causing these feelings of schizophrenia not knowing who you are and why you do what you do and trying to find a way out the battle often results in two extreme approaches one is quietism and the other is activism quietism these are from uh commentary from rc sproul quietism is when we say God will work it out. I just need to let him do his job. I need to let him do his work. He has promised to never leave me. The Holy Spirit will will see things to completion, and I just need to sit by and wait and let it happen. That's quietism. Activism is when a Christian takes their spiritual growth into their own hands. Self-discipline is what we need. Holiness, perfection, flawless living. And that leaves us only continually defeated when we fail and it leaves us prideful when we actually succeed. Both are wrong directions. Jesus says what we need in our lives as we grow is neither quietism or activism, but a deep awareness of the Holy Spirit in our lives who is constantly ministering to us. How is he doing that? He is called a counselor. He is called a comforter. He is called a teacher. He is called a helper. That's what a schizophrenic needs. Someone to remind us who we are. 
someone to remind us what is true, someone to reveal the lies in our heart and our head that we believe, not simply to transfer information. Jesus does not say a a, a great, you guys are never going to believe this, there's a great professor coming, he's going to teach you all about God that you need to know. He doesn't do that. I'm thankful he doesn't. What we don't need is just a transfer of information into our heads. But to strengthen us, we need to be strengthened in our innermost being, reminding us of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. When a word of Scripture comforts you, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When a a friend delivers encouragement to you from the Bible, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When you encounter a biblical truth and you feel that that passage has been written for you at that moment, that's the Holy Spirit. If you're comforted by the unity of the fellowship of God's people, when you have courage to endure another day with a peace that is not your own, when you pray to God and you remember that He is good, a good Father who knows you, who cares for you, that will not give up on you, when you sin and you're convicted and you're reminded of God's commands, when you lack faith in your hearts and you're stirred to believe against all odds, when you're in conflict with others and you strive to apply the love of Christ to that conflict, when you're overcome by temptation, but you find a way to remain obedient, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is what He is doing every day for us. The most well-known passage on the work of the Holy Spirit is probably Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus' disciples at Pentecost. What happened when the Spirit came is the disciples were able to, for the very first time, internalize the truths of what Jesus had done for them and, and how they belonged to God and God belonged to them and God was near to them and God had changed them and God was empowering them to go out and to be a witness and, and they were reminded of the unbreakable bond of friendship and peace and love that they had with God. And it filled them with joy. How do I know that they were filled with joy? Because the Bible says that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, everyone thought they were drunk. That's what it says. That's how I know that I think that they were filled with joy. If you are really Spirit-filled, you're not happy because you have convinced yourself that you're a Christian. And therefore, you should be happy because that's what a Christian is supposed to do. You're happy because you're convinced that you truly have the love and the presence of God. And that changes your life. Changes your life. Jesus means for his disciples and for us to internalize the teaching. To internalize what it means that God is near to us. That he has saved us, that he has applied the work of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to us, and that he continues to minister to us today, to remind us of all that we are and have because of Jesus. We are meant to internalize that, to apply it well beyond the intellectual, to apply it well beyond the head knowledge, and to give ourselves completely over this reality that the presence of God is with us and will never leave us. Are you aware of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you responding appropriately to the Holy Spirit by welcoming His teaching, by welcoming His convictions, 
by welcoming his leading and his encouragement. Do you wake up and say, God, speak to me today. Lead me today in my responsibilities. Give me, let me feel your presence and your nearness. Convict my heart where there is error and sin. Or do we say, God, I've got a lot on my plate. I could use a little help to accomplish what's on my plate. Does that sound like your prayers? By his mercy and love for us, the Holy Spirit will not do it. Because that's not his agenda. His agenda is to manifest the life of Christ in us. This is precisely why Jesus tells us in verse 27, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. But be at peace. And the peace I give is not like the world, not like the peace that the world gives, which is here one day, superficial at best, and gone the next. My peace will be with you forever. Let's pray.